Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. You know, encounters in life can make a huge difference. We're in a series called Engage Your World, and today's title of the message is expect an encounter. Expect an encounter. Most of you know when I got out of college, I was a petroleum engineer and I worked offshore in the Gulf of Mexico on drilling rigs. And when I would work offshore, we traveled and we mostly, but we lived in Texas, we mostly went out of southern Louisiana. How many people are from southern Louisiana? Anybody at all? Virgil Walsworth, stand up and be counted. Uh, and uh, he's the only one, no one else? Good, because I'm about to offend everyone from South Southern Louisiana. If you're watching online, I apologize in advance. But um, Texans don't really like people from Louisiana. It's just a thing. Actually, Texans don't like anybody that's not from Texas, reality. Because Texans think they're better than everybody else. And for the most part, they're right. They're great. I love Texans. I love living in Texas. I've lived there twice. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, it, they're just... They're just larger than life. They have a great Judeo-Christian ethic in their background, though they may not practice it. But you can trust the Texan. They're going to do what they say. They're going to do. They're going to be crazy out there, uh, risk takers, a lot of fun, and great barbecue and Mexican food. What more could you want? So I was looking, living in Texas, love Texas, working out of Louisiana. Well, there's these people in southern Louisiana. They're known as Cajuns. And as a 23-year-old, 24-year-old, right out of college, when you still know everything, right? You remember that? Remember when you, when you knew everything? It's a great time in your life. I mean, it's really, really great. Uh, if you're younger than that, just know it's coming. Um, you'll, get, you'll get over it at some point. Uh, you'll get to be 60 and realize you don't know near as much as you thought you knew at 23, right? Um, but it's a great time in your life. And so at 23, I thought, man, those, those Cajuns are just a bunch of pagan, corrupt, crazy people. And I just didn't really like them. i got to be honest. I'm ashamed to say, but I just didn't like them. I didn't like, if you're a Cajun, I thought, you know what, I don't even want to get to know you. And so I would have to travel through southern Louisiana, through Cajun country, a lot in order to catch a helicopter or a boat to the rigs. And um, there was this town called Golden Meadow. And in Golden Meadow, Louisiana, it used to be known as one of the great speed traps in America. A little bitty town. You're driving on the road, speed limit's 55, and suddenly it's 45, and you think, okay, I'm good. But then there's a, right behind a tree, like a block away, there's a little, if you look really close, you can see that the speed limit is now 25. And you better have cash. And you've got to pay on the spot. But they haul you off to the pokey. That's what they say. And so I just didn't like southern Louisiana. I didn't like Cajuns. And uh, I had not been introduced to Cajun food yet, so... Um, I'm working offshore one night, and I've been out there seven days, I get in, and offshore food on a rig is bad. People used to, I know food, great, it's free, but think of your college uh, dorm uh, cafeteria in high school and college, it wasn't good. And so when you get off the rig, you say, I've got to have something good, I've got to have some flavor, I've got to have something, and the first restaurant as you drive uh, north off the docks was a place called McDonald's. I don't know if you've been there. Um, and when you've been offshore for seven days, you're like, oh, i got to have some McDonald's. 
you know, give me a Whopper. I mean, I mean, sorry, a Big Mac. Give me a, a quarter pounder. Give me some fries. And let me just load up. At that point, I was really thin. Hard to imagine, I know. But I was like, man, I could eat all that. And it was so great. So I stop at Golden Meadow at the McDonald's. I go in. I get my food. I come back out. And we had some less than ideal cars that we were driving back then, um, company cars. And uh, I get in this car, and it doesn't start. It's like 7, 8 o'clock at night. It's dark. I'm in Golden Meadow, famous speed trap of the world. I'm around people I don't really like. And I'm thinking, this is the end of the world. This is terrible. This is a disaster. I don't know what's going to happen. And so I go up, and I open the, the, the hood. Don't know what I'm going to do. I have no tools. And, uh, but I'm going to open the hood, look around, tap on something, you know, maybe something will. Within five minutes, there was three cars there to help me. I mean, they jumped out of their cars, came looking, started yelling, hey, Boudreaux, bring this over there. Before I know it, the car's running and those guys are gone. It was amazing. Do you know what? That encounter changed my view of Cajuns. I love those people. I learned uh, that their food is amazing. Gumbo, unbelievable. If you haven't ever had real Cajun gumbo, see Lauren Havard. I hear she has a great recipe. I think Jill does too, probably. Um, it's amazing. We're into crawfish boil. It's crazy. Um, but those people I got to know and got to love, and I, it was a good thing because I worked offshore with a lot of them, and I learned they were great storyteller liars. You know what I mean? Because what they were telling could not be true. But it was amazing. You'd stay up all night to hear those guys talk. You're like, this is incredible. I don't, I don't know if this is real, but, you know, who cares? Um, one encounter can change your life, change your view, turn you around. And that's what we want to talk about today in the greatest, most transformational encounter, really in all of Scripture, probably. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Let's look at the conversion of Paul. And I want you to think about your encounter, as you ladies talked about uh, yesterday in the ladies' brunch, your encounter with Jesus. I want you to think about your encounter as we consider Paul's encounter. Originally Saul, and again, I'm going to use Saul and Paul interchangeably because they're the same person. Um, but at this point, his name is still Saul. This is Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, But Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It's not too good, right? Can you imagine? This is a guy who is breathing these threats of murder against the people who are of the way. And the way that was kind of the name that they gave the church at that time, they called them the people of the way. They were, you know, maybe they were generally Jews, and the way meant the way of Jesus. They were living the way of Jesus rather than the way of the Pharisees, the way of the way most Israelites were living at the time. Who is this guy? It's the third time we hear about him. And if you know your New Testament, you know a lot about him. But at this point, as you read through Acts, all we know is this is the third time we've heard about him. And the first time was when, what, Stephen was being stoned. And literally, those who were so mad at him that they stoned him, they literally threw rocks at him until he was dead. They laid their coats at the feet of this young man named Saul. Meaning, he was someone that had a lot of respect. 
he oversaw that and approved of Stephen, be, Stephen being killed for preaching the good news of Jesus. And the next time we hear of him is, it says that in, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Saul began to, this persecution against the church, he got the, the Jewish leaders to say, we got to get rid of this church, we got to deal with this. And they literally started dragging people out of their homes, hauling them off to prison, so much so that the church scattered throughout the, all the known world. Because of the persecution, the church scattered, which is a great picture of how God often works. Sometimes we are forced to go somewhere we didn't expect to go because we carry the gospel. Don't be surprised if you wind up somewhere you didn't expect. If you're a gospel carrier, someone who knows Jesus, God wants you to spread out. He wants you to know people. He wants you to encounter people. He wants you to share his word. And that's what happens because of Saul's persecution. Literally, the Bible says everyone left, which except for the disciples, which is probably kind of a metaphor, a euphemism of almost everyone. Just about everyone just departed. They just left. And they went wherever they could to be safe. And now we see in chapter 9, this same Saul, he's still breathing these murderous thoughts. This guy is really, really angry. He wants these people to die. And he sends them and he heads off to Damascus. Well, who is he? Let's look at, at Philippians chapter 3. And we see Paul describe himself in verse 4 as he has already become a follower of Jesus. He's, he's done a lot of great things. And he, he talks about himself pre-salvation. He says this in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, meaning I have a reason that I should think, if anybody thinks that they have confidence that they could earn salvation, I have more confidence. He said, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse uh, 5. He says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day, just like you were supposed to be, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was really thought to be a godly tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I was a really good keeper of the law. I was the best keeper of the law. I, I kept the rules better than anyone. I was the top of my class. The Pharisees literally were the top level of law keepers. They were really, really good at it. And we, we talk about how prideful and all those things that we are, but they were good. They were good church people, right? They were, they were really kept the rules good. You know, some people come to us and they go, what are the rules of being a part of your church? The rule is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the rule. Love God, love people. That's really the rule. Well, I want to know what I can get away with. I mean, am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to do that? I, listen, if you love Jesus and love people, you will live to glorify him, right? But that's not how Saul was living. Saul was keeping the Old Testament law near perfectly. As good as anyone ever. That's who he was. And these people, this church people, had become a problem. Because why? The church taught what? The church taught repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. This is what happens when people are having an encounter with God. What do we do? We're supposed to repent, believe in the name of Jesus, be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. So in other words, for Paul, it was like, wait a minute. My whole life, my education, everything that I am, you're saying is no good? 
This was an attack on Israel to him. This was an attack just like any enemy coming in and trying to overthrow Israel and destroy it. That's how Saul saw this. It would be like saying to a, a Christian veteran of the U.S. war who actually saw a combat, it would be like saying to him, listen, Christianity is dead, we're going to kill it, and the U.S. should cease to exist. That's how he heard it. This is an existential threat for him. I've got to do something about it. We have to stop this church because if people start believing this, they're going to totally, totally forget what Israel's supposed to be and stand for. We're supposed to be the ones that are going to bless the world, as it said in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And he really thought that keeping the law was going to be the way God would bless the world. We have to be better than everybody else. Hmm. Did you ever have your goodness not be noticed? You know? I mean, did you ever have your achievements and be devalued? Maybe in your job. I used to be in a sales organization, and man, when it came to that sales meeting, everyone wanted an award, right? They'd be like, did I do good enough? I think I did. Maybe I did. And maybe you had a good year, but nobody noticed. It's irritating, isn't it? It's enraging at sometimes. Like, hey, they gave that guy an award? That guy's a total loser. You ever feel that way? Or maybe it was another employee. They got, they got promoted and you didn't. You're like, what, what, what? why am I even doing this? Well, for Saul, it's that times 100 probably. He's like, this is my whole way of life. This is what I've staked my entire being on. And you're destroying it. I've got to stop this. And he thinks he's fighting for God to stop the church. And so what he does is he goes to the, uh, the leaders and he says, listen, we've dispersed the church here in Jerusalem, but the problem is they've gone elsewhere. And I think Damascus might be the northern part of their reach. So I need to go to Damascus and get those people and haul them into jail and maybe even murder them, maybe even kill them. I, I need to go there because that's, that's, it's spreading everywhere. I've got to go stop it. And so that's what he does. He gets some letters, gave him the authority to go to Damascus and drag home or drag back to Jerusalem anyone who is known to be of the church or of the way. That's his heart. That's his desire. He wants to fight with what God is doing through the church. And let's see what happens in verse 3 of chapter 9. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Let me, let me just pause here. Let's... Let's, let's just kind of unpack a little bit what's happening. He's walking along a road. He's got an entourage. I don't know how many people. He's got some people. It's like bringing the police with you or bringing some people who are going to be soldiers to take the guys back that you actually arrest. And he's walking along, and suddenly there's this bright light that stops them. It kind of reminds you of when the angels appeared to the shepherds, doesn't it? It's this bright light, and it would have illuminated everything around him. We don't, Saul later says it was noon, so it's so bright that it makes it much brighter than it is at, at noontime. 
And Saul's like, there's this voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who, who? I, I know I'm coming to get some people, but you know, this doesn't seem like it's a human event, so I need to know who you are. I don't, I don't understand. And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. It's really interesting that Jesus says, you're, you're not persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. See, the church is the body of Jesus. And when the church is persecuted, we're persecuting Jesus himself. It's an amazing picture that he gives to Saul. What you're doing is fighting against me. His, um, his teacher was Gamaliel. And if you remember in chapter 5, Gamaliel said, if this is of God, it'll just go away. Talking about the church. It'll just go away. But if it's... If it's not, I mean, if it's not of God, I'll just go away. But if, if it is of God, we will be fighting against God, and we're not going to be able to stop it anyway. So here is Saul, the student of Gamaliel, being stopped on the road by a godlike person who says he's Jesus. What an amazing, amazing event. And he falls to the ground, and he asks him, who you are, you're Jesus. I wonder if it all suddenly clicked for Saul at that point. Because he had been there when Stephen was being stoned. And Stephen looks up in the sky and says, I see Jesus, I see the Lord standing by the throne of God. And, and that just made people even matter. So Stephen claims to see Jesus. And here's Saul seeing this man who claims to be Jesus as well. What an amazing event. I wonder if he realized at that moment, oh my goodness, Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. It had to be so stunning for him. He falls to the ground. And those around him, they know that something is happening, but they don't know what. Isn't that true when we have an encounter with God? It's a very personal event, even if it's in a group setting. He speaks to our heart. And those around us may be able to tell that something's going on, but they don't really know what's going on. And this is the ultimate in humiliation for Saul. He's thrown to the ground. His whole world has been turned upside down. And as we'll see, he's blind. Verse 8. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So here is this man, this powerful man, who has these soldiers or these policemen or whoever they were with him to haul people off to prison. And now he is having to be led by the hand. Kind of with Jesus makes a big difference, doesn't it? He's blind. He has to be led by the hand. This one who had all the power is now having to be led. And he goes into a house in Damascus. And in blindness, he doesn't take any food or water for three days. He takes three days to consider what has happened. You know, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it's a really good idea to spend some time processing what's happened. If you have an encounter with Jesus today in this service, I urge you, take some time. What is God doing? What is he saying? What does it mean for you? Please, don't just walk away at the end of the service and go get lunch. Consider, what has God said? What does it mean? 
And Saul, being a Pharisee, would have known how to fast and pray. He would have known that. And now he has a whole new understanding of who God is. And he has got to be just kind of a shattered person. But he takes three days to consider what's happening. I love that. Have an encounter with God. You need to take some time to consider what God is saying. Verse 10. I love this because God is working at two sides at the same time. He's working on Saul, and he's got a person he's going to bring alongside of him named Ananias. Just like with the Ethiopian eunuch, where he was working in Philip's life while he was working in the Ethiopian's life to bring the two together to make something awesome happen. Verse 10, where the Lord says this, Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Not the Ananias that was struck dead, incidentally, earlier. Different guy. Same name. A lot of you have the same name as well. Um, so anyway, different, different guy. Uh, was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of, of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, uh, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Let me pause there for just a second. Here's what's happening. You know, in Philip's case, the Lord just prompts Philip to go talk to the eunuch who's pretty much a safe bet, right? He's just a guy on a chariot. And the Lord says to Ananias, listen, I want you to go to the guy who wants to kill you. I want you to go see this guy who wants to take your life or at the very least haul you into prison back to Jerusalem where you fled or those who witnessed to you fled. You've all been dispersed because of the, of the persecution in Jerusalem. I want you to go see that guy. God ever called you to go see someone that might be a little dangerous? I mean, that's something we need to be ready to do, right? It's important. God calls us to go do something. We need to be ready to do it, even though it's, it's kind of risky. Now, Ananias asked a good question, right? So let me just be clear. I'm going to go, but let me just be clear. Uh, Lord, this guy came to get me. I would really rather hide. But if you say, I'm there. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So God says, Ananias, something amazing is happening. He's had an encounter. This man who is called caused thousands of people to disperse out of Jerusalem, who knows the law better than anyone. I have my hand on him. And not only is he changing teams, but he's going to be the greatest leader we've ever had in the church. That's what he tells Ananias. He's going to go and share the good news with the rest of the world. And I want you to go get him started. I want you to be the one to be the connection. Notice how God is at work in Ananias. He's at work in Saul. And Ananias is called to go minister to him 
But God has already done all the heavy lifting. It's so important that we see that God is at work in people around us. He's having the encounters with people all the time. Because if he's not, our ability to make a disciple is never going to amount to anything. If God's not at work, I can't lead anybody to Jesus. Really, all we're doing is interpret what God's already doing. We may have a little part. Someone else have another part. Someone else have another part. We may get to be the one that harvests, but it's God that does all the work. I love this in the story. Um, but he's going to show him in verse 16. He's going to show him he's going to have to suffer a lot. Saul's going to have to suffer a lot to do what God calls him to do. Verse 17. So Ananias, to his credit, he goes. I love this. Ananias departed, entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. This commentator, Daryl Bach, said everything that happened on the road was reversed when Ananias came. So all the blindness was gone. His desire to not have food or water was all gone when Ananias came and prayed for him and really completed the conversion process to where he was able to say, this is what's happened to you. It's time for you to repent and believe and receive the Holy Spirit and be baptized. And that's what happens to Saul. And then he hung out with the disciples. Those that he came to haul off to prison and even kill, Saul is spending time with. It's incredible what an encounter with Jesus can do. Totally turn Saul around. It's incredible what an encounter with Jesus can do or did do for Ananias as well. I'm not going near that guy. Well, you say so, Lord, I'm going to go. We'll see what happens. And I'm going to help him receive the sight and become a follower of yours. Encounters with Jesus are amazing. I know what some of you are thinking because it's what I was thinking when I read this passage. If Jesus would appear to me like that, I, could, I would do anything, right? That's what I've been waiting for. I want him to show up. In, the, in person, and look me in the eye and say, this is what I want you to do, and I would do it. I just need that, you know, I need him to show up bodily. I want to be blinded on the road. I want the Damascus Road experience. Why doesn't he do that for me? And let me just say to you, the answer to that is, I don't really know. But let me give you a couple of insights I think that might help. As we've seen, God is available to speak to anybody at any time he chooses. Now, for Saul, he's doing something amazing. He's about to change someone who has been totally against him to someone who is for him. Now, he's already been working in his life because he's already seen what's happened to Stephen. He's already given tons of preparation. He probably knows a lot of the Old Testament by heart. So what a great guy to be on your team if you can just get him turned in the right direction. God is doing something amazing in Saul for sure. But know this. He's able to speak to you today. You can have an encounter with him today. When we come into worship, we should expect an encounter with him, right? It's amazing. But know this also. 
there are some people that no matter how real Jesus is and no matter what he does, will never repent. So sometimes we're thinking, if you would just do this for my child, for my adult child, for, for my father, for my mother, for, for my spouse, for my friend that I've been praying for, would you just appear bodily so that there's no way they could say, can you just do that, Lord? Some people will never repent. Revelation chapter 16. As you read the events of Revelation and how the, the judgment gets worse and worse and worse, the Bible says at the end of Revelation 16, it says, even though all these judgments are taking place, even though the people knew that this was God's activity, even though they knew he was judging the world, awful things were happening, they still wouldn't repent. Even though they knew what was coming, they still would not repent. One of the saddest things for us is to know that some people will never, no matter how many times you tell them, they absolutely will not. We don't know who those people are. So we continue to pray. We continue to work. We continue to share. We don't know who they are. But some will never come to Jesus. And to be sure, the number of times that you refuse to repent, to come to Jesus, to receive the gift of salvation, it's less likely you ever will. Your heart just gets harder and harder and harder. We'll continue to pray. We'll continue to work. But we know that some people will never, ever come to Jesus. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? You see, following Jesus is not a lifestyle. It's not just a set of rules. It's not, hey, just live like us, hang out with us, and you're going to be fine. It's, I need to have had an encounter with the living Lord. It needs to have been a time in my life when I felt his presence, when I felt his conviction, when he said to me, Steve, I, you need to repent and follow me and invite me into your life to live through you. Has that ever happened for you? I always worry that people just kind of came along with friends or family, that they never really had an encounter with Jesus. You could be having that encounter right now. Have you said yes to him? Have you said, yes, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and save me? Or have you just been trying to live a good life like Saul? You may be having that experience right this minute. Don't say no. Don't say no. You say, well, how could Saul possibly say no? He could have said no, folks. We see it. We see it in Scripture. Don't say no. The other amazing thing about being a follower of Jesus is you should really have an encounter with him every day. That makes an incredible difference. I have to tell you, there are days that I have not spent time with Jesus in the morning. You might as well take that day and throw it away. It's not going to go well. You're going to miss what God wants to do. You say, well, I thought once I get saved, he never leaves me. He doesn't, but you don't have to listen. You can shut him off in a room and say, I'm just going to do what I want to do today. I'll call you tomorrow, Lord, or maybe next week, or if I need you, if things get really bad, I'll check in with you. You see, when you come to Jesus, it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. I come to him and I say, Jesus... I want you 
to lead me. I want you to fill my life. And I daily want to die to who I am and allow you to live through me. I want to have a real encounter every day. See, Jesus is waiting for that. And sometimes we just blow right by that. Well, it's morning, you know, I've got to get to work. I've got to have my... I got to have my, my cereal, my eggs, whatever, and, and I got to watch CNN or, or Fox, and I got to see what's going on in the war. I got to watch all this stuff. And, and uh, by the time you know it, you're already at work, you're already doing your thing, and the day's gone, and you're cranky and mean, and spiteful, and stressed. You kick the dog, yell at your husband. You have an encounter with Jesus every day at any time. It's incredible. Have you had an encounter today? Well, see, if I don't really know how to do that, how do, I, how do I do that? Well, it's not really hard. How would you meet with someone you wanted to talk to? Would you yell at them as you go outside the door? Hey, I really want to be with you. I really want you to impact my life, but I really don't have time. I... I, I got to get down the road and I got to watch this important TikTok video. No, actually, you'd spend time with them, wouldn't you? You'd sit down with them. You'd listen to what they had to say. You would share with them your concerns. Take some time. Open his word. So I don't know really where to open it. Last time I opened it was in Leviticus, and I really don't understand any of that. Start in the book of Psalms, start in the book of John. I'd be happy to help you with that. Ask the question, God, what do you want me to hear today? I, I want to hear from you. I want to respond to you. Repent of your sin. Ask him to convict you. God, I need to know how, where am I messed up. God, I want to align my life with you. And God, these are my concerns. These are my needs. Would you take that time to have an encounter with God every day? Because he wants to walk with you. The God of the universe wants to live through you today. I mean, that's incredible, right? Why would we miss that? But we do, don't we? Encounters with Jesus make all the difference. If you haven't had an encounter with Jesus, or you're, maybe you're having one right now, I would love to chat with you after the service. I'll be right here. So I don't know what to say. Just come to me and say, man, I want to have an encounter with Jesus. We'll talk. This week, wouldn't it be a different week altogether if you had an encounter with Jesus every day? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing for you? And wouldn't it be amazing for those closest to you? So well, you don't know my husband, how obnoxious it is. You don't know how, how mean my wife is, how she nags all the time. I wonder what would happen if you just happened to be filled with the Holy Spirit when you were talking with them. Would that change how you respond to others? So well, I don't know anybody that's having an encounter. Listen, you should expect people to be having encounters all around you. But if you're not spending time with Jesus, you're not going to know. You're going to miss God's activity. If you've never had an encounter with Jesus, I hope it's happening right now. I'd love to talk with you. If you had one, but you haven't had one in a while, I urge you, open up some time. Sleep 15 minutes less. Spend 15 minutes less on your phone, on TV. It's the most important part of your day. Encounters with Jesus make all the difference. Would you bow with me?
Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.